world is burning. Welcome to World is Burning, the podcast for your climate anxiety, which is our subject for today. I am Olivia. Yes, and I'm Elise. Um, yeah, we, I don't know. I feel like this this article came up by Sarah Jaquette Ray a couple of weeks ago, and it's been in, it feels like in the social media conversation, we touched on it a little bit last week. Um, and it just felt like it warranted a full episode, especially because we call this the podcast for your climate anxiety. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of stuff to talk about. And obviously, yeah, we we say it's the podcast for your climate anxiety every week. So it's obviously an interesting idea to us. And this article just added another layer of intrigue, I guess. Yeah. Do we want to talk about exactly what climate anxiety is? Because I don't know if we've ever actually broken it down on the podcast before. <laughs> have no, we? I don't think we have. I think we just say it. <laughs> I think we just started saying that. I don't I don't even remember it necessarily being a I think it might have been something that we started writing on social media because of the character limit and then just started saying it at the beginning of every episode. I'm not yeah. actually sure if we said it in our first episode. I don't know. Maybe. We'll have to we'll have to listen back. Oh, that would be horrible. But I mean I yeah, I do feel like it was because like we were trying to figure out how to like say like what the podcast is in Instagram like in our Instagram bio mm-hmm. and like Which is that was a short yeah yeah welcome to our <laughs> dystopian podcast mm-hmm. um but and it fit it made sense it was something that people say and hope yeah people get the idea of what that is and yeah so this episode isn't necessarily even about that but it is that I think adds another layer of us Thinking about this, especially as um, whatever, as two, as two white people who host a podcast about the climate crisis um, from the United States, which I am just constantly having an existential crisis or no, a very real crisis about <laughs> the United States. Every, um, every, every layer of crisis that one can possibly have, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, like I think this. So the article that we're referring to is um, by Sarah Jaquette Ray for Scientific American. It was called um, Climate Anxiety is an Overwhelmingly White Phenomenon, which, um, yeah, has just like provoked this really interesting conversation. And I think um, especially as I feel like it has become more mainstream to see the the, the deep connection between um, climate justice and racial justice and how mm-hmm. those things just have to, to come together. Um, I just... Like it, it's. I feel like we have to be very aware of how language can change over time. Um, but yeah. anyways, so maybe just getting into the basics of defining the term climate anxiety for people that haven't heard it before would be good. Yeah, um, which we again like probably should have done like in one of our first episodes. But I don't think we did. Right, climate anxiety is defined as chronic fear of environmental doom by the American Psychological Association. Um, when I looked it up, it looked like they had coined that phrase in 2017. Mm-hmm. And so, or they hadn't coined it, but they defined it in 2017. So it's been around for a couple of years, but like that kind of adds a level of legitimacy to it. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, like, I feel like there's a lot of putting climate in before a lot of feeling like different emotions or like emotional experiences, I guess, mm-hmm. between like climate grief, climate anger. Um, I did 
in in my digging around the internet for uh like more scientific information on like the climate anxiety like phenomena uh mm-hmm. i saw that there's another word called like uh solastolgia mhm which is i wasn't going to say it cuz i don't know solastolgia um which i mean it sounds very like i don't know it sounds very cool um mm-hmm. but apparently that's kind of like a blanket term for the like climate anxiety grief and distress that people feel so in case you want to say that you're suffer- suffering from solastolgia uh, mm-hmm. That is another word, um, you know, for trying to get different, uh, you know, types of language out uh, on the board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and something I saw on Wikipedia, which I know Wikipedia, but I love them. And honestly, sometimes I think um, Wikipedia helps me lay out, like, it helps me frame ideas. And so mm-hmm. something that I saw on there, they, we're talking about this. It was on the page for the psychological effects of climate change. And they talked about three different causal pathways. And so those were direct impact. So a way, a causal pathway that you might go down in order to have psychological effects due to climate change could be direct impact, obviously being displaced by a fire or a flood or having like a debilitating illness caused by a pollution or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, The second was indirect disruption, which is financial or physical hardship due to things like crop yield or decreased tourism Um, or, you know, anything that is is due to climate change, but in like a less direct way, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third was awareness of climate change as a threat. And so I feel like this is kind of what this article is honing in on. So like... um, we have a tendency to put a lot of focus on this and um, white people, I think especially, or or not even, well, white people and also like privileged um, people have a a tendency to put like the main focus on this because this is like where some of us experience the first anxiety Mm -hmm. um, because that might be all that you're experiencing in this moment. Yeah, so I guess like basically, and I I did give, uh, like a little overview of the article in our last episode but basically with that idea of like the awareness of climate change so uh, but basically the idea that um, people of color are generally uh, the most worried and concerned with climate change but the idea that white people are more uh responsive i guess to the term climate anxiety and the idea that it almost turns into something that like is that an avenue to like getting back to normal or um basically like Mm -hmm. keeping the status quo just because it feels comfortable um and getting back to a place of privilege rather than like addressing the issues yeah it's i feel like it speaks to this weird middle ground that there is between wanting to acknowledge the connection between climate change and mental health and like the larger um, prevalence of depression and anxiety, for example, among younger generations Mm -hmm. and how that can be connected. And like, I think that is why it is important to talk about climate anxiety as a term, Mm -hmm. right? Is like connecting that your emotional, you, you can't not have an emotional response to 
climate change, whether you're learning about it or experiencing it or both. And yeah, and even then it's like, every, like experiencing it comes in so many different levels. One quote from the article that I thought was really interesting, I'll just read the whole thing. It's like a, a paragraph. Um, she said, the white response to climate change is literally suffocating to people of color. Climate anxiety can operate like white fragility, sucking up all the oxygen in the room and devoting resources towards appeasing the dominant group. As climate refugees are framed as a climate security threat, will the climate anxious recognize their role in displacing people from around the globe? Will they be able to see their own fates tied to the fates of the dispossessed? Will they hoard resources, limit the rights of the most affected, and seek to save only their own, deluded that this xenophobic strategy will save them? How can we make sure that climate anxiety is harnessed for climate justice? Which, like, honestly, I think this article is a good jumping off point for discussion rather than, like, a discussion in itself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, like, it played out on social media that way, which is really cool to see. And also, yeah, like, I guess cool to see the discussion being um, being brought up and happening. And it is exciting to have, like, conversations about important subjects on social media but it also is kind of disturbing to see um you know an article that's written by someone who's written two books about a relatively like about the similar subject you know that distills this down into an updated article and then that article is given a headline by an Mm -hmm. editor that's meant to intrigue people to read the the article and then that headline is put into infographics and the best quotes from the article are put on social media which is then what people respond to in the comments and then you respond to the comments there and it's just like sorry no (laughs) just this line of how everything happens and so because i i mean maybe we'll talk about this in a second but um i went into like some of the um discussion that was happening on about mm-hmm. this article or from this article on Instagram, which obviously is not the first time that climate anxiety has has come up. But I feel like um, this article brought up um, an interesting conversation about like climate anxiety, and white fragility. But some people didn't. Or some people had a very legitimate criticism, which was that mm-hmm. it still um, centers white people, even by like bringing evoking those subjects. You're still um, it was still centering um, white feelings and white people in a way that doesn't need to be yeah there was definitely like uh like like weird tension in the article itself with the like is climate anxiety like a white experience and then saying climate anxiety and like climate distress is like experienced more and first by people of color so yeah it it, yeah there was like an interesting dynamic Mm-hmm. There. Wait, actually, can I read one of those Instagram comments right now? Let's feel like it's relevant. Yes. Yes. So, there were so many good ones. Yeah. And there were also so many that were, you know, full on three paragraphs worth of stuff. I like copied them into our collective notes and they, they don't look like Instagram yeah. comments because they're so long. But um, so I specifically was looking at like Future Earth had posted about this and had a lot of comments. It's one of the larger, I don't know, climate information accounts on social media and then also brown girl green um whose name is christy drutman it's like brown girl underscore green she made some instagram posts or stories about it which um i saw them i don't remember them significantly and she didn't save them um so i don't want to misquote her but 
she did make a few posts about it and, you know, asking people whether they agreed or disagreed with the article, which, um, to be honest, I don't think that necessarily the answer to this is do you agree or do you disagree with the article, but it's like, it's more about the the topics that it brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had a lot of really accurate critiques and so did people in the comments of her post about mm-hmm. it. And one of those was by at Danny Siggy. Um, they said, it's probably that people of color are adjusted more to racial violence and uncertainty and white folks expect protection and safety. So they experience more anxiety symptoms because they're less adaptive than people of color who are forced to be because racism. Mm-hmm. Someone else, their their username was Sandu underscore SL. They said, I think it's possible that BIPOC don't publicize their anxiety as much relative to, well, they just said relatively, but I think mm-hmm. relative to white people, which I think is a really accurate point because it's also like, how do you frame this and how do you assume that other people are going to receive your feelings about something, right? Yeah. Because I feel like, at least for me personally, as a, you know, privileged white person from the U.S., like, um, I feel like when I come to people, come to my friends, come to you with, like, um, feelings of climate anxiety or dread and all of that, I'm very much, like, coddled. And um, I I feel like especially with older people, like, will congratulate older, older white people, like, congratulate me on like my climate activism or like talking about climate change and stuff like that which feels like um it's a nice sentiment I guess but it's also it's just very coddling or like your expectations of what I need to do are so so low compared to someone who's directly living with the impacts of climate change today yeah I mean I feel like there's a luxury to having the space and the time to like unpack and name and like address your feelings and then like mm-hmm. maybe even look at it from like an academic standpoint or something like that and like really look at that as opposed mm-hmm. to like trying to survive and then like naming those survival needs just in relation to um education academia like i feel like some people when they're first getting into the climate world and you know, trying to turn their anxiety into action and do all of those things. Um, there's this feeling that you need to study climate change or environmental science and mm-hmm. um, get a degree, which is not, you can do those things, but there's also not time for everyone to do that, nor there's such an immense privilege and gatekeeping and um, financial gatekeeping of higher education, especially in the U.S., um, but I think globally that like there's there's no time for that and there's already these barriers up that like are disproportionately going to aid white people and like getting yeah. those certifications, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's interesting too, I guess like with like the gatekeeping or uh, qu- qualifications that I guess like are expected or needed or people feel like they need to talk about a mm-hmm. certain topic, like Obviously, like, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of things like I feel like the economy, like just like in terms of something that we all experience, I feel like people talk about the economy all the time or like weigh in on, you know, what they think is the best or how it affects them or like how a certain thing is affecting their life. And like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's pretty like accepted that people have opinions on the economy and can speak to it because we all 
are affected by the economy. Right. Or it's like those things that are that are like, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. And then it's all the like self-care methods of, you know, buying nice food mm-hmm. and like wearing a face mask and taking an extra long shower that all have monetary mm-hmm. like implications, I guess, or expenses. Um yeah. And you had written in our, in our notes, like, the idea that mental health and self-care are a luxury, slash just, like, healthcare in America, yeah. which is a whole separate conversation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, the, the idea that those two things are, are a luxury is, is the way that, like, we frame, I guess, how to deal with anxiety. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But essentially, like, if everyone is experiencing climate change or experiences climate or like just being on the planet I feel like Mm -hmm. everyone can speak to that in a qualified manner I guess yeah um so like gatekeeping should be less of a thing because I mean lived experience counts on the subject of lived in experience one of the um quotes you put in here was from another scientific American article I think Mm -hmm. um it said in Tuvalu um, an island country in the Pacific Ocean that is at significant risk of being devastated by climate change in the near future. A survey published this, this year, which I think was 2020, um, found that 87% of respondents reported such severe climate anxiety, it impaired their ability to perform at least one act of daily living. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, like, I don't know if people would ne- necessarily seek out information about climate anxiety when it's so central to their lives. Like, at that point, that's just anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, especially when it's that close. Um, I think there was a comment on this uh, on the Brown Girl Green post. But the mm-hmm. idea that, like, if you're in it, you might have a different name for it or it might look different. Like you mm-hmm. might name it as like flooding or or like being in a food desert and not having access to food or naming as a specific different thing that gives you anxiety. So mm-hmm. th- like so you might not think of it as climate anxiety. You might think about it as anxiety around a different thing, but it falls under the umbrella. But because you're under the umbrella, you just like <laughs> see the one thing that's affecting you the most. Um mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I think it's, I, like, everything is super valid. It's just a different name for the same experience. Um, or yeah. a different ex- experience, because everyone, I guess, experiences it differently. But Yeah. And so, I guess the impetus for the the article, the Sarah Chiquette Ray article, was this idea that, like, after she wrote the book, A Field Guide to Climate Anxiety, a lot of the people that were responding to that book were white people and like a lot of people mm, I was gonna say driving the conversation I don't think that's the right term but a lot of people taking up space in the conversation on climate anxiety were white people mm-hmm. um which I I see the irony of us talking about this for an hour or so yeah. um and taking up space in that argument like without consulting with other people or not without consulting but without like literally having someone else in this conversation because again that was another thing that Bronco Green had said is like I would hope that this article you know that we could hear from a BIPOC perspective on climate anxiety because those exist and certainly Mm -hmm. um and they have existed for years and 
the idea, and not that Jaquette Ray is suggesting this at all, but like there's, I don't know, there's like a historical valuing of of white voices as like this legitimacy or yeah, having access to higher education titles and like um, structural like access to legitimacy mm-hmm. um, that like that makes it so that often white people can like co-opt different um, I guess terms or uh, movements, anything that is started by um, people of color, mm-hmm. like and the with those people of color, then like getting set put into the background and not getting the same platform that um, a white person might get. And then another thing without being too like, Everything has a solution, but I do think like um, you maybe for people who are first coming to the term climate anxiety or experiencing that and really resonate with that, so do I. Like I don't think that's that's not a bad thing. That's not mm-hmm. what this is about. Um, but also, I think that there are ways to, yeah, again, put that anxiety into action and like. Something that we had talked about in like, and again, in our like pre-conversation about this is like acting as a collective and like community building, um, how all of those things can, can bring forth or can alleviate anxiety in a way that's not like ignoring the problem. Because if you just think in sense of like, oh, I'm so scared by this thing. I want to just deny, deny, deny. It's so scary. I want to just like put it away. Yeah. That doesn't do anything for the larger conversation. That just like gets you back to your normal mm-hmm. and your normal is destroying the planet. Like that's, I don't know. Yeah. Well, one, in terms of just like feeling climate anxiety, um, there there was a quote from uh, like a mental health professional that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's the idea that climate anxiety like climate depression or climate rage isn't a pathology it's a reasonable and healthy response to Mm -hmm. an existential threat I'd kind of wonder why somebody wasn't feeling anxious so kind of just the underlying feeling that or like the idea that it's like a normal and healthy response if you are like a caring person um Mm -hmm. uh to feel that anxiety upon uh, either realizing or living with the knowledge of climate change um, and then the idea that I guess the goal of feeling that feeling would be to build up resilience and to be able to like take that and carry it with you mm-hmm. in a like a way that isn't debilitating um, and it's like building up that strength and fortitude within yourself and within your community to be able to like act through that. Yeah. And to use that feeling for action and to be part of the solution in a way that's inclusive of everyone and isn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) just like a hoarding personal, like individualistic survival response. Right. Yeah. Like in that quote, again, that I read er Mm -hmm. read earlier where, um, I don't know, we've been talking in my climate change class about, like, migration and um, climate refugees and, I guess, climate migrants, which is already a weird term because, like, I don't know, it's just kind of this mindfuck of, like, the largely the global north, which doesn't necessarily have to mean actually the Mm -hmm. north, but, like, um, the largest emitters and those that are, like, 
hurtling us towards climate change at a much fa- faster rate, um, are causing these problems that are first affecting the global south. Mm-hmm. And then people in the global south are being displaced from where they live because of that. And then they're coming to global north areas and being seen as like, yeah, migrants and refugees, whereas like the global north are the ones that are actually responsible mm-hmm. for for that, sh- l- disproportionately responsible for that shift. Um, but yeah, this idea that like, um, then those people in the global north want to hoard all their resources, don't want to give anything to these people that they don't see as one of their own. And like, yeah, all of the xenophobia and like nationalism that comes with mm-hmm. that, um, putting up all of our walls and like sort of on that subject too, just from that same class. This past week we were talking about militarization and um, border walls, border security, quote unquote, as a term. Mm-hmm. Like, um the massive, massive amounts of money, I mean, billions upon billions of dollars that the U.S. has put into that well before Donald Trump wanted to build the wall, like we were already mm-hmm. doing that and private businesses, all this stuff. I'm getting back to climate anxiety, I promise. <laughs> but like um, this idea that that we've been doing this and we've been building up this idea of like our nation or any nation for so long that people have this like blind authority to it. Um, and so one of my classmates was like, I've just been reading all this stuff. And, you know, we read stuff every week for this class and other classes. And like also me just as a citizen or as a, as a human reading about all of this, I feel just so powerless and distressed and alone mm-hmm. um, thinking, you know, even if obviously someone else wrote this article or a group of researchers wrote this article and I know other people that are reading the same thing, there's still this like profound feeling that. Um, you yeah you're sort of you have to experience this alone and like process it by yourself um but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case like I think that um I guess going back to why we call this the podcast for climate anxiety which again is a term we might change like um the reason that we say that is so that we can have these conversations like you Mm -hmm. and I literally well, face-to-face, Zoom-to-Zoom, but also you listening can, like, kind of have this conversation with us and mm-hmm. that that hopefully makes you feel less alone for being like, mm, I don't know how to pronounce Anthropocene or, like, whatever. I don't have a story or an anecdote for this type of, like, climate anxiety. That's, like, um, I guess a little way of, like, making us all feel less alone. That went in a lot of directions. Sorry. Yeah, no, I feel you. And I mean, I feel like uh, one of my inspirations for this podcast and just like other like I'm very much like I love stories. I love like exploring, you know, if something is scary, like I like learning about it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's just my response to anxiety about an issue. Um, but I feel like people who are prone to anxiety a lot of times have a similar response. Um, but like mm-hmm. with true crime, I feel like there's a very similar response in that there are like huge communities built around interest in true crime and the idea of mm-hmm. like fear and then like like telling stories of scary things and like understanding what happened and experiencing that together instead of like being just like scared on your own, mm-hmm. which we could, you know, get into a conversation about the whiteness of true crime. 
um, Mm -hmm. as well. But yeah, I I think that like just like the fascination with an issue um, when it causes anxiety can be helpful to experience with other people is basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, And like, I think Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is like my fascination with both like true crime and climate feel very similar. Mm hmm. Um, just because it's something scary and it's yeah. it's easier to break it down and like hear stories and again like talk about it with you talk about it with people um, experience it with other people yeah I mean that was literally that's what this podcast came out of was I listened to a episode of the mini sort of yeah. my favorite murder about Centralia yes in Pennsylvania and then yeah. that became one of our first stories and our other first story which I can't go back and listen to our first episode I'm going to be honest about that mm-hmm. but um, you can listener. Um, we talk about Cancer yeah. Alley, which is something that comes up. I swear to God, like once a week now. Yeah, I feel like in my life, and I also get their emails more than once a week. That's another story. But um, yeah, like this, there's very much a connection between those two things. Yeah, and like all this to say, like also, like uh, I love the idea of like harnessing the energy and the fascination of the public to uncover things or like publicize uh something that is known like Mm -hmm. i mean i would personally love to see the energy of like finding out who killed john benet ramsey but except it's like (laughs) uncovering that dupont like poisoned a bunch of people in Mm -hmm. cancer alley and that like we know who did it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they should be held accountable Mm -hmm. because we know and i think that is like a very healthy outlet of anxiety um because we have answers and while they're terrifying i think there's a little bit of like i don't know peace and justice and like if everyone were to team up together and hold the people accountable who did the worst things mhm yeah corporate and governmental responsibility that's the yes this is the podcast for your corporate (laughs) and governmental responsibility that's that's singing i like it um well just while we're on the subject of true crime i know you mentioned fruit loops yes which have you ever listened to that that podcast um no i don't think so but i've heard of it yeah so like as i said we could get into how true crime as a whole is very very white um mm-hmm. and i love fruit loops because um it's specifically about serial killers of color and their victims which also a lot of times happen to be people of color mm-hmm. and basically their their whole thing is they're like usually you think of serial killers as white men but you know, that's not necessarily true, but that's what we hear about because the news is racist. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically the idea that like a lot of times mainstream media like really, really pushes the white story. And then people think of a topic as a white thing mm-hmm. when <laughs> that's like not even true, even a little bit. It's just that the other stories are ignored and not covered. Um, yeah. So... I love that podcast. Definitely listen to that if you I will. like true crime because it's very good. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just think there's <laughs> like it is interesting. I think 
I, you don't have to like true crime and we might have lost some people just like because that's something that we're both interested in. But I do think that there's this connection between this really deeply dark thing and this fear that I mm-hmm. think especially women have in, in the case of um, serial killers and stuff like that and violence against women. But um, yeah, just like if you think about um, true crime and how it's like disproportionately women like listen to and are interested in true crime Mm -hmm. even if like you listener are not necessarily interested in it i do think it's like um it is helpful to have like a conversation about this thing that you're so terrified about and then also like um hear people talking about it in relation to mental health yeah which i think a lot of true crime podcasts are very like uh, this conversational mix that i think the first time you listen like i've tried to listen to I think I listened to, I keep mentioning it, but My Favorite Murder, I think I've listened mm-hmm. to it the, for the first time ever with you. And um, the first few times I listened to it, I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm just like, this yeah. is, feels creepy. And like, um, it's this like mix of light and dark in a way that I don't totally understand. And then, I don't know, a switch flipped and I got into it. And now mm-hmm. I like, I listen to a lot of of true crime shows, especially podcasts, but like other things as well. And yeah, I don't know. There's just this, like, there is a connection, I think, between, like, bringing something into your everyday that somehow makes it less scary. I feel less yeah. anxious about climate change when I talk about it often than I do. Yeah. Even though I'm learning really scary things sometimes, like, it feels better to talk about it than does just, like, sit with that anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, I mean, I, I definitely think it's good to listen to podcasts, like, climate podcasts that aren't necessarily, like, like this super... One. <laughs> like this one <laughs> that aren't like necessarily super super sciencey but like meet you where you are and like talk about stuff and make jokes and are like you know talk about it in conversation like you'd have in conversation with your friends mm-hmm. um because like I also like with climate anxiety I feel like a huge part is that like it's a lot of young people feeling this um yeah in the idea that a lot of times, like, especially, like, in this generation, like, young people feel really lonely or, like, it, it's easy to feel, like, alone and, like, obviously this pandemic isn't helping. Um, and so it's just kind of, like, a perfect storm of a lot of really bad things that can, like, climate anxiety can kind of just, like, t- be, like, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um mm-hmm. And that, yeah, just like, yeah, hearing people talk about it, podcasts, like hearing people talk about it in a way that you would talk about it with your friends is very helpful. Um, I mean, and that's also partially personal experience. Like I go throughout my day, like um, I always feel like I talk, I like think of like podcast hosts as like my personal friends. Um, Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) it's always that picture of that girl sitting next to that person sitting next to like an ice cream thing where there's like three girls on the in the ad that are talking and then she's sitting next to it and pretending to laugh along with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, like I just I just think of the time like I, I talked was telling like I was talking about my favorite murder. Uh but I like to the friend that introduced me to the podcast, I was like, Oh yeah, like uh Karen and Georgia said like a similar thing the other day, blah blah blah. <laughs> and they were like, Who are Karen and Georgia? Do we know them? I'm like, no, like from the podcast that we both listen to. And you mm-hmm. just said that with such familiarity that like I thought they were your actual yeah. friends. And I was like, no, I'm not friends with them. Um, 
but I feel like you I know am. what's been happening again because I'm in um grad school and at least partially like studying or I'm in a class about climate change or a couple uh-huh. and like so I will I have had instances where I'm like my friend told me this but I'm talking about you and I'm talking about something you told me on the podcast but I don't want to say that because it's mm. it's just as uncomfortable as saying to someone you know Karen and Georgia or like it could be anyone but yeah. like whatever this podcast host said this thing when you don't really want to be like this random person or sometimes you don't even remember their name. Yeah. So I'll just be like, oh, I heard someone say this. Or like who said um, this on, or like who said what on like this specific podcast. I mean, like everyone's living in the same world. So like a lot of different like mm-hmm. groups of podcast friends are like talking to each other about similar things. And yeah, yeah, it's easy to get lost. Yeah. And then with you, I'm like, my friend told me this and I'm like, well, you are my friend and That's you did true. tell me directly. But it yeah. feels like I'm not telling the full truth. I'm not relaying certain in- information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bottom line is that I've I know I've found like a sense of community in podcasts or just like a feeling of not being alone. Um, even just with going through the pandemic, like hearing podcast people talk about the pandemic and what they're going through and like mm-hmm. the things they're doing or their thoughts on it. Like that's been very helpful for me. Um And I mean, I know other people feel the same way, but yeah, I feel that way about a lot of things too. Like, so social media, I feel like filling my feed over the last few years with more and more climate Mm -hmm. activists, people that talk about climate. I feel like I started very lightly, you know, I started following a couple like zero waste sustainability influencers Mm -hmm. and then like slowly that has led me into it's radicalized me, you know, it's it's brought me in a different direction, like th- where I've learned a lot about um, climate justice through social media. Mm-hmm. And that also applies to, you know, groups that I've joined virtually and in person. Like, I think a way to maybe like if you are experiencing climate anxiety and you also have a lot of privilege, I think there are a lot of spaces for you and there's also a lot of voices that you need to amplify like Mm -hmm. we if you're listening to this we should not be your only source of like climate news certainly not we also reference we I feel like we reference a lot of people and there's always if you are interested in any subject go to our website and we will have like a million different resources for you so many people sources books yeah all sorts of things I feel like yeah if you're reading this article and you're thinking about things that it's not including or that it is including like I think the point is to go and find other sources and listen to diverse points of view on the same Mm -hmm. on the same subject and that at least for me I feel like that relieves some of my anxiety because it shows me what each person is grappling with individually Mm -hmm. um what they're focusing on and then it also just like I don't know gives me a little bit of a deeper understanding of how I feel about a subject yeah I also think too like there is the idea that like I think like certainly like from the article like white feelings and like white expression I guess can be very suffocating to people of color but also mm-hmm. the idea that like like in the climate space just like more and more people need to be involved so like obviously yeah it doesn't mean disengage yeah it does if you come from a place of privilege that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be involved in the climate space it just means that 
maybe it's falling in line with other people or amplifying things or just like getting involved or yeah, being engaged, following people, listening. Um, but it certainly doesn't mean to like, yeah, climb, crawl back into your shell and, you know, hope everything will go back to normal because that's like the worst thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. I don't want to yeah, make also that think- a challenge because the universe listens sometimes. <laughs> yeah, the universe listens to us when we don't want it to. Um, but I also think that's part of like, I think it's just important to be a participant, like a mm-hmm. a passive sometimes participant or like a background participant in a lot of different things. Like um, your voice is not always necessarily the one that needs to be heard, right? Yours is not often not the one that needs to, to be amplified. Not to say that, in this case, like white people don't have good things to say, but like, um, I guess just acknowledging how much space has historically been made for us and how much pain has been caused by that mm-hmm. uh, is it's something to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. And also, like, I feel like there are like, I mean, maybe the space that you take up is talking to a family member or talking to someone mm-hmm. in specifically your circle or whatever um and i mean that's an important action as well but you're not Mm -hmm. um stepping on toes or trying to speak over someone else who's already speaking in a space yeah well another thing too is that like white people we don't have the structural barriers that a lot of people of color have and have experienced for their whole lives so we're Mm -hmm. less tired like we can come into this and have those like we no, we have to have those conversations hard Mm -hmm. conversations um not just about climate but also about um race and social justice with the people in our lives because um like people need to be called out and challenged on their beliefs so that those beliefs can um evolve and Mm -hmm. i felt that way even about my own beliefs like oftentimes even in this conversation i feel like i'm not always expressing myself in the way that I want to, or I think I probably just have a lot more learning and unlearning to do mm-hmm. and, and opinions that will inevitably evolve over time, just like for everyone. But I would appreciate being called out by um, people that I know or challenged in my opinions by people that I know, as long as it's coming from, um, or people I don't know, but you know what I mean? Like people within my community, mm-hmm. um, as long as it comes from a, a space of like wanting to have a conversation and not wanting to attack either person, yeah. um, which was like was the cool thing about seeing this article kind of catch fire on social media is that like there were a lot of those deep conversations that read some of those comments of really intricate discussions that people were having on Instagram of all places. Mm-hmm. But then if I got too deep into especially Future Earth has the largest platform, so there's the mm. most comments on that. I, I was reading that right before we were going to record and I was like, okay. I have to look at something else because this is too, this is like too much mm-hmm. of people having opinions about just a headline, yeah. um, which doesn't do yeah. anything. Yeah. Which like that, like it is a very like in your face title, but there's so much more like beneath the surface in good ways and bad ways, I think mm-hmm. um, that's worth talking about. Um, social media is weird, but sometimes good. It is weird, and sometimes bad. Sometimes bad, and sometimes 
you know, not really sure where to put it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess, like, the only other thing that, like, in addition to, uh, which, like, sometimes it, it's just, like, kind of crazy to remember certain things. But, like, in addition to social media, I guess just, like, the idea of, like, actual media and the idea mm-hmm. that, like, mainstream media, like, or even in terms of, like, political discussions, like, we've just literally last year, like, started, at least in, like, presidential debates, debates talking about how, like, how to address climate change rather than, like, if it's real or not. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's not surprising that people, if they haven't experienced climate change um, in their personal life, that they have, um, they're shocked by the fact that it's real and it's, like, really jarring and anxiety-inducing um, because it's just not, like, it's just crazy that it's, it's something that we were still having the if conversation or that that was like seen as a legitimate mm-hmm. point of view for so long. Yeah. And yeah, that it feels like, yeah, really so, so, so recent that that conversation has changed. And I don't even know if it's changed entirely. Yeah. There's certainly people that I know that don't think in, in people that I don't know who, don't think about climate change at all. It's yeah. like does not take up any space in their brain. Yeah. And that that was that quote you said earlier where it's like, I, I'm concerned about people who aren't feeling any anxiety. Yeah. Like, what's, up, what's going on with you guys? Yeah. It feels like some scary yeah. stuff might be going on in your brain. But um, yeah, I, um, I don't know. I have so many. Th- I've obviously, again, studying media. So I have a lot of thoughts about... <laughs> Media and, like, well, I was even thinking about this just in the sense of, like, the headline Mm -hmm. being something that um, is provocative and wants you to, like, click on it. Um, Because so many um, media outlets are, you know, constantly laying people off or denying their unions or um, not having profitable ways of like monetizing their valuable work mm-hmm. unless they put up, up behind a paywall or with a million ads that can also be very problematic or mm-hmm. sometimes like filled with hate speech and things like that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, of nightmares of how that just talking about like media outlets and distrust of the media, Donald Trump's yeah. hated term fake news, but like much adopted term fake news. Like, I don't know if we can have a conversation about like media representation of climate without acknowledging that it's like a an industry that is crumbling and being delegitimized while also being totally valued i was watching this is quite an aside but i was watching the QAnon documentary series i forget what it's i think it's called like into the storm on hbo Mm -hmm. and um so they go and interview the starters of the the founders of 8chan which i don't know if you know yeah if you're blessed enough to not know what 8chan is but um it's the website that like hosts q that's a whole separate conversation but like the the core idea of 4chan 2chan 4chan and 8chan was like to have unfettered free speech mm-hmm. and if you i've never been on any well i've never been on 8chan before and um if you watch those documentaries, you'll learn that unfettered free speech, especially for large um, 
community gathering websites can be an incredibly, incredibly dangerous and like radicalizing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I brought that up is because the owner of HN now is this very centric guy, and he was like literally being um, subpoenaed. It was being was presenting himself again. I don't know the term in front of um, Congress, and he has his own like alternative news thing it's called the goldwater news he's like so distrustful of news media and then he was pulling up an article about the new york times about some something that was just breaking news and had just happened and i was like why are you reading the new york times if you hate the media like yeah it just doesn't make any sense yeah. so i know that was a big aside but like i do think that when you're trying to have a nuanced conversation about climate, the media needs to be involved and needs to be talking about it more. Um, Hot Take does a good job of like breaking down that. Mm-hmm. And he did also um, Emily Atkins, uh, especially her newsletter and her like presence on social media talks about a lot like representation of Rachel Ramirez also um, representation of climate in the like larger media conversation. But there's so many elements that go into that and so much nuance that is lost based on the way that like that yeah is structured now yeah and also yeah and also just the idea that like the doom and gloom clicky climate uh stories are uh a lot of times what people see and that a lot of like climate news is negative um which obviously i mean it's going to be negative but there are also a lot yeah. of like positive things, people doing good things and like seeking that out if you are scared. Yeah, it's it's a really hard thing, though. Right. Like I think about that all the time. And I I know you do, too, like with with the world is burning and like especially the way that we present ourselves on on the podcast and then also on social media and then on my own social media, too. Mm-hmm. I think all the time about like I've um I've started sharing a lot more about climate change than I it used to mm-hmm. and like um it's difficult to bridge that i don't know to like bridge that gap and not feel like you're soothing people who don't deserve to be soothed yeah right yeah or also like that there's space for your own joy amidst um activism like climate or climate conversations yeah yeah there's a lot there's a lot to balance but there's a little bit of a place for everything. Um, yeah. But it's, I think it's also maybe the reason to bring that up is like, it feels like the wrong people are anxious sometimes. Or it's a lot of, a lot, the wrong people let their climate anxiety stop at anxiety. Yeah. Because I do think that like for a lot of people, learning about climate change is also how they learn about their own role in structural oppression which is not a fun bright thing to learn about nor is it something that you can learn about in a five-page infographic you know what I mean like yeah um yeah and so sometimes you want to be like no join the climate conversation it's like it's a welcoming and important space and like um there's so much there's room for everyone like you don't have to be a PhD to join this conversation like all of those things are true but then also it's not I don't want to like sugarcoat it and say you're you're gonna feel super great and comfortable about yourself as long as you do five minutes of climate change reading a day you know what I mean like yeah I mean I feel like 
no one's like action should stop at anxiety and like your reading or like engagement with it shouldn't end at an infographic. Mm-hmm. But it can start in either of those places. Yeah, because it can start. Yeah, it's a great place to start. But honestly, even I feel like even for like your knowledge and anxiety or dealing with that, like an infographic isn't a like transformative, like meaningful way to engage with the subject. But it is it is a very mm-hmm. good place to start. And a lot of times the infographics like link sources and link other pages and link other people yeah. in the space. So like as like an infographic as a place to start, like a lot of times if like you look in the corner and see the handle that like that information was from like that's like a great way to like engage with a different person read their work you know Mm -hmm. like learn you know like just like engage with that post a little bit more if that's your starting point yeah yeah no hate on the infographic as a starting point yeah but that's all it is yeah or that's what it can be Mm -hmm. I mean I feel like climate anxiety is something that's very useful to like uh entertain and like think about and work with and also like understand where other people might come into that feeling Mm -hmm. as a whole because I mean looking at it like I did think it was really interesting that like I didn't necessarily think one way or another about the term like I think it's just like an important like it's a legitimate feeling um that I think you just need to like think a couple steps further into um if you're coming at it from a place of privilege yeah. Um, yeah, that it can manif- manifest as fragility. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm like really thankful to that article for starting or not for starting the conversation, for reinvigorating the conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful to the people that I at least came across on social media who were talking about it. Um and I think that that's cool. Like it's also cool to maybe not from this specific example, but I feel like conversations like this can sometimes be how I find out about more people mm-hmm. and find more diverse perspectives but I yeah I just think that that like it can it can open a lot of doors I think it's just like being aware of the racial component of um co-opting terms like this is like very important to acknowledge mm-hmm. anyways can I tell you about a scary movie I yes, watched yes yes <laughs> okay this is this is the dump if you've never been here before this is where we we never explain this actually we we never explain what the dump is we just started i assume just that people will catch on all the trash at the end is how yeah I it's literally it. all the trash at the end yeah that's what it is there we go it's the off subject stuff although i feel like we end up bringing up climate stuff also but we, it, it always comes back in it's all the the loose ends what can we do yeah this one actually kind of does circle it does circle around especially because you're talking about it does true crime and um refugees and stuff like that but i watched the movie his house on netflix have you seen it i haven't but it is now on my list it is so good it's a horror movie it's by um or directed by remy weeks um and i'm just gonna read the log line it's a refugee couple makes a harrowing escape from war-torn south sudan but then they struggle to adjust to their new life in an english town that has evil lurking beneath the surface don't um and i so i love like hill house well i haven't seen the first season but i enjoyed watching the second Ooh. season yeah i need to the watch first the first one's season better. but i know that's what i heard but i really like the second one and i the second one's good too what i'm trying to say is like i really like scary things but that also have a compelling story yeah I feel like this, 
you know, Get Out is a fantastic example or mm-hmm. even like Midsummer of, you know, mixing horror with like a really compelling story. Because otherwise, I think, I mean, I'm not the only one in thinking this, that like scary movies kind of lose their, their, well, their horror and also like lose my interest. I get bored halfway through um, yeah. if they don't have a compelling story. So this one really had that. Um, yeah, it has some like, twists in it that aren't typical horror story twists i feel like it's more like plot just genuine story mm-hmm. twists and like depth that um is really interesting but then it's also really scary and okay so in the movie it's this couple that um they're like i said they're um i guess refugees from south sudan in england um coming to england and then they get like moved from the common building that they're in into their own little apartment in like a it's like a condo and so it starts off with just like noises in the house and so we were watching it I watched it with my roommate Mm -hmm. and we live in New York City so there's like of course there's noise everywhere and there's always like cracks and stuff and we have um high ceilings or like whatever I'm trying not to give too much. I always feel like I give too much information about where I live, (laughs) but we have high ceilings and also um you know, people that live next door to us. And so they were like having a conversation, a very lively conversation while we were watching this movie. There's like, um, some of people will walk on the roof and you can hear like cracks in the house and stuff like that. So that in addition to the movie, like sometimes I couldn't even tell which one it was coming from. It's just terrifying. Um, but yeah. And then it also like, is this interesting comment on refugee rights and home and place and migration and like, um, there's like yeah there's this whole component of like not belonging anywhere um that is just like really really cool and it's also yeah scary as hell so yeah which also okay uh so i love also just like since this is the climate anxiety episode and again this is the dump where we're you know probably not supposed to talk about the things that we were just talking about but like I do (laughs) I do love like the idea of like horror as a like a coping mechanism for anxiety Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like it's like one of those where like you can feel anxiety about something else or like fear or just like all those like get your heart beating about something else Um, and one of the most uh, have you ever listened to the podcast America American Hysteria Mm mm-mm um so it's really good it basically talks about like a lot of either conspiracy theories or just like satanic panic or like things that like american people have like really got their panties in a bunch about Mm -hmm. um and it kind of like breaks that down and like why it happened like how it happened um, and the host, um, Chelsea Weber Smith, kind of was formally of that mindset. Like she was really into con- conspiracy theories and like really just like went all the way with that kind of thing and mm-hmm. like kind of has like backed away from it and like examined it more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always really interesting. Um, but that sounds of, right up my alley. Yeah, it's really, really fun. Um, like the 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 cover of it is like a razor on an apple. So basically just like the how people think like people hand out scary like Halloween candy or like Mm. and that's like never happened. There's like 
one story that's on a bunch of two crime podcasts that I've listened to that kind mm-hmm. of like fed into that. But like people don't give out bad Halloween candy. Like it just doesn't happen. But people get freaked out about it every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that like one that. wasn't even a, it was a family member, wasn't it? It was a family member. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, pixie sticks, whatever, bad times. <laughs> um, but it breaks a lot of that stuff down. And one of the most recent episodes was uh, it's like the first installment of a like horror movie uh, thing. And it talks about how like hor- like the genre of horror can a lot of times like explore ideas out of the mainstream. Um, kind of, I mean, just because like sometimes horror movies can be kind of cheesy or whatever. Um, but like it doesn't necessarily like horror movies don't necessarily need to conform to what people think is like quote unquote normal or whatever. So it's just like an interesting place to explore topics. Um, It is also cool. I don't know. I'm sure they talk about how um, older horror movies, partially because of less advanced effects, but I think also just different societal anxieties don't seem as scary or they even seem funny now. Whereas like, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, if I watch a scary movie now, certainly there are bad scary movies, but there are some that like really speak to societal anxieties that I didn't even realize yeah. I had. And that is uh-huh. like what makes it so terrifying. Yeah. Well, like, cause like I, one of the things she talks about is like, uh, like the giant bug or like giant creature, like mm. where they just like would take a spider and like, b- like blow it up in the movie. And then everyone would be like, ah, the giant spider. <laughs> and how it like stemmed from like, uh, like fear of like, nuclear radiation and like Hmm. um that kind of stuff so it was like it it you might not think of that when you're watching the horror movie but it was kind of like an abstract way of exploring that fear um of like like nuclear radiation and whatever so just like interesting idea um which yeah i was looking i was also looking up like uh, different climate horror movies <laughs> yeah. before this. And like, I know I've mentioned Snowpiercer, which I don't know if I would personally consider that horror, but like, like climate thriller, I guess. Yeah. Um, But like, there's also like, re- yeah, really cool. I might, I'll, I'll link a couple articles that I can find or like link a couple movies that I've seen Ooh. Um, that are climate horror because like, if you are feeling <laughs> climate anxiety and want a way to like, get out those feelings, like, climate horror as a genre is an interesting interesting thing i guess yeah oh i i want to read uh, no watch all those read the articles watch the movies and listen to the podcast lots of things and yeah that that i'll link that podcast episode as well because it's a very fun podcast to listen to to break down why america is like america mhm why america is like america <laughs> that's, that's also our podcast whole, yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that's a bummer is exit in. <laughs> and on a downer. Yeah. And on a downer, but I'm upset. But yeah, exit in is my favorite or like one of my favorite music venues in Nashville. Uh, it was a Rawa Riot show at exit in, was the first show I went to after moving to Nashville. So it just like holds a special place. Yeah. It's like in the my heart. perfect club venue where I feel like we both went to a musical school. So like I saw people I knew perform there 
mm-hmm. had whole shows there. Did you ever perform there? You might have. No, I never. I never performed there. No. Okay, but like definitely involved in that. But, like, and then friends. Yeah, friends, and then also saw. Um, lots of artists like that was the a venue that people would come to right before they blew up all the time. Yeah, so many like truly, like I I could list so, like literally so many. I'm trying to think of like the last ones that I went to, like Japanese breakfast. Yeah, we went. We both went to that. Yeah, we went to that. Um, they also had like a little loft part, and so I could sit down if I was into the show, but more like not really in a mood to stand. Yes. Great, great sitting areas in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the also the depressing thing, so the reason we're talking about it also is that it's not just, I mean, we are sad that this venue and so many venues are struggling, but the saddest part is that, um, well, you know more actually about it. Like, it's being made into a hotel, right? Yeah. I, well, I saw a couple different things about it. I saw that a while ago, uh, a hotel did put a bid in um but i guess there was a whole like save uh like rock block or whatever in Mm. in nashville to kind of like preserve that area um so they avoided one thing but finally i guess um there's uh a firm called ag capital partners that um specializes in adaptive reuse projects um which seems like a fancy term for gentrification. Um, <laughs> and basically, like, they've turned other things that are, like, historic landmarks into basically that thing but different. And then, like, maybe we'll add a hotel or add, like, other things to it, but, like, build it around the thing that existed before. So basically, it seems like what they're trying to do is buy it, change it so it's more trendy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, like maybe build around it or I don't really know the entire plan that they have for it, but basically they won a bid for the building. Um, and now Exodent, like the owners are trying to raise enough money to, I think, buy it from them. Hmm. So uh, basically, yeah, they have a GoFundMe going right now. Um, if they don't meet their goal, they're going to um, donate what are they going to donate all the their money to? Um, I think it's like it's a fund for save the stages or something like that. Maybe yes, it's yeah, save the stages, save our stages. I think uh, they have raised like five thousand dollars between right before we started recording this and right now. So like hours, you mean? They've raised five thousand dollars in like an hour and a half. Oh wow, or two hours. Oh wow, <laughs> I didn't realize it was that recently launched. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're they're at sixty three thousand dollars right now. Hopefully they can get to their two hundred thousand dollar goal. But um, cool. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I, I especially don't even with know if it says. Yeah, there's a lot of I know like Paramore was, um, organizing and amplifying that whole mm-hmm. cause and conversation because like it's interesting. I mean, I haven't to be fair. I moved out of Nashville in early twenty nineteen. I haven't well, I haven't been back in well over a year um mm-hmm. but it's one of well thank you COVID. yeah thank you COVID. well thank you also thank you me deciding to join the peace corps and moving home any of also <laughs> all of those things but um yeah like um it's just such an interesting place in austin too of like um this like increased tourism but then like um 
increased population. So many people new moving to Nashville every day. I don't necessarily know the stats mm-hmm. now, but like pre-COVID, people, thousands of people are moving there every day. Um, mm-hmm. And like how, but then like the public transportation system was still like really um, inefficient, ba- basically mm-hmm. non-existent or like non-functional in a meaningful way unless you lived in a very specific route, um, which causes a lot of issues, causes a lot of traffic, like um, jobs, inequality, uh, racism, like gentrification, all of the, literally all of the above. I feel like Nashville has Mm -hmm. the prime example for for so many great cultural things and then like not so great um, growing pains of like a mid-sized city. And this is just another example of that, sadly. Yeah. And it is like, I feel like uh, like independent music venues are something that like we need to protect. And yeah, it's it's like honestly heartbreaking to see this one uh, be bought. Mm -hmm. And like like again, like just I'm going to read it because it's stupid. But like so this like firm that bought the venue uh, specializes in adaptive reuse projects that remake dilapidated historical historic properties, which psh, dilapidated, uh, and not. turns them into modern developments while retaining the original character. Which you know they're gonna suck all the original character out of that place if mm-hmm. they do it. But yeah, I mean, also just like uh, going back to our music episode, I feel like this could talk about like just like the consol- consolidation of wealth. Um, in the music industry mm-hmm. and just like buying up independent music venues that are their own like you know small businesses or whatever and turning them into like something that is owned by a big business mm-hmm. and that sucks um, mm-hmm. so uh, if you've ever been to Exit Inn uh, I'm sure whatever show you went to was great uh, and I'd say <laughs> if you've ever been to Exit Inn capitalism is bad and this is an example <laughs> that's where my brain was going yes um but i will link their gofundme i don't know they don't say when their deadline is for raising money but um if it's before or if it's after wednesday i'll definitely link the um the gofundme in our show notes probably share it on our instagram too yeah um and if not save our stages is worth it's like nationwide or i think it's nationwide um, yeah. the coalition of all different independent venues so that's an important mm-hmm. thing to keep on your radar if you like cult- culture I don't know <laughs> if you yeah. like music yeah like concerts if if you haven't spent money on concert tickets in a year and want to like pretend you're purchasing a ticket mm-hmm. to a show that you would have gone to uh, and just like support that GoFundMe uh, do it because I know a lot of people, including myself, will be very, very upset if if that venue closes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my sad, sad story for the end of <laughs> end of the podcast. Hooray. Um, hopefully they can raise enough money because, again, they've raised $5,000 in the time that we've been talking. So. Yeah, it's really cool. People care about it. Should I do our socials? So, yeah. Okay, so um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at World is Burning with no G. We're also on TikTok at World is Burning with a G. Um, we'll put all of our sources for this one. This is like one of the first episodes where we haven't read our sources because we weren't sure what we were going to bring up. 
Um, but we'll mm-hmm. have a bunch of sources and then even more further reading about climate anxiety, um, like climate anxiety and race, um, some BIPOC perspectives on climate anxiety, all of that on our mm-hmm. website, worldisburning.com in our extended show notes. There's also lots of other cool things on our website. Um, I think that is it. We have our email on there. You can email us um, anything, I guess. Constructive- World is burning pod. Yeah. Yep, world's Yep, worldsburningpod at gmail.com. And um, yeah, that's it. We'll see you next Wednesday. See you next Wednesday.